0: welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about heart changes within that translate into changes in the way we see things, changes in the way we speak, we approach situations, which ultimately brings change into those situations. We've coined the the theme as being, make a change, make a difference. God has called us to make a difference out there in our world, but I think many of us, where we get stuck is that right now, the only place I want to see some difference is right here in my life. How can I be concerned about everything that's going on in the world out there? Have you seen what my life looks like? Have you seen my situation? Do you know what I'm working through, what I'm going through? Do you know the pressure that I am under? Do you know the way that I am feeling right now? But I want to say to you that the same word applies. And that as you take the word of God and as we give ourselves to it and allow Him to work in us to change our hearts, it's amazing how not just our immediate situation, begins to change, but how we naturally become what Jesus calls salt and light in various situations He places us in. Because as much as we're going through difficult things, the truth is everybody's fighting their own battles. Everybody around us is also dealing with their stuff. And when you are the only person in the situation who seems untouchable, who seems as though... It doesn't stick to you. The stuff that I'm working through doesn't seem to bother you. You seem stronger. You seem able to deal with this. You seem to actually thrive, even in this environment. That's what salt and light looks like. That's what gives opportunities. That's what opens doors. Last week, I mentioned to you that I, our fellowship right now is going through a rough time. There is a concerted, focused, spiritual attack against so many within our fellowship. In very varied areas. But the worst thing that we could do is hear something like that and become either despondent or afraid. The worst thing we could do is hear something like that and go, what does that mean? How do I deal with that? I mean, anybody who's writing exams right now, all our matrics, all our varsity students, they're like, we are so under the attack of the enemy. No, that's just exams. That's not what I'm talking about. We've got some teachers here who have to mark those exams. That's the attack. (laughs) No, not quite. Last week, we looked at a scripture in the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 12, which says... And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. There is a warfare. There is a battle going on. It is a spiritual battle in the heavenlies and in the atmosphere around us. That's why you know certain people enter a room and the atmosphere changes. Either for the better or for the worse. Sometimes somebody steps into the room and we all get you know, very reverent. Other times, jovial. But there is a battle going on in the atmosphere. But there's also a battle going on within our hearts, within our minds. Strongholds that need to be broken down. And unfortunately, these things do not just come down with a quick prayer. These things do not just break and fall off us just like that. From time to time, the Word of God enters in. Light happens and there's revelation which changes things and dynamically shifts things in a moment. But most of it is the hard slog. Most of it is the daily grind, the transformation, the giving myself again and again and again to that which I say I believe is true, until that which I do believe is true begins to change what I see in and around me. Worked at David and Goliath last week, at how David came into a situation and completely changed the atmosphere with his words. And I don't want to spend too long there. Please go and have a listen to last week's message. It's a very it was a very powerful time here last week. The Holy Spirit and the anointing that was in our service was very impactful last week. So go and have a listen to that word. But the other thing, the standout thing that happened that we spoke about last week was Proverbs chapter 18:21, which has to do with the power of words of it's in that battle. The power of words in establishing the kingdom of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, His way of thinking within our hearts, minds, and situations. And Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, those who talk a lot, those who like to talk, will eat the fruit of what they're talking about. If you're sowing gossip, if you're sowing doubt, if you're sowing unbelief, if you're sowing fear, that's what you're going to produce. You're going to reap the fruit of that. But if you're sowing life, if you're speaking life into your situation and hope, if you're speaking grace and strength, if you're speaking Jesus into your situation, that's what's going to start happening and what's going to start shifting your situation. Now listen, it doesn't say in that chapter anything about feelings. But it does talk to us about speaking. We're going to get onto that a little bit later. I want to say this to you today. The enemy loves to use your tough times as a tool. Sometimes he's the author of those tough situations. Other times, he'll just use it gladly. You see, when we are in tough times, the first thing we look for is relief. I can't wait till this is over. What pill can I take to stop the pain? What quick prayer can I pray to make this come right? What I really want in this moment is relief. And it's amazing how the enemy masquerades himself as exactly the thing we're looking for, to bring relief. You'll find relief. Where? At the bottom of this bottle. You'll find relief if you just take this hit. Or you'll find relief if you just give yourself over to that for a while. Forget about that and don't worry. Don't let your conscience, just give yourself over to that for a while. Go and look at that stuff. It'll make you feel better. It'll make you feel powerful. He's the master of false substitutes. And it's amazing how often we fall for His traps. But I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. Because we don't want to be the ones who fall for the substitutes. We want to be the ones who go through and go to the answer And the answer isn't what is the answer. The question isn't what is the answer. The question is who is the answer. We all know the answer to that question, which is Jesus. Well done. I'm so glad you got that right. Would have been a bit awkward had you not. Matthew chapter 4, from verse 1 through to 11. And there's a story we're quite familiar with. It goes like this Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to Him, He said, If you are the Son of Man, command these stones, become bread. You see? Let's just pause for a moment. Jesus is pretty hungry right now. Forty days fasting. And what does He immediately bring? Relief. Relief in your situation. Just do this. Take the substitute. Get what you really want. But He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. he took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. You see, Jesus knew that he was there to establish a kingdom. Amen? And the devil said, well, I'll give it all to you if you just bow down and worship me. And then Jesus said this, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall, not worship, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. You see, the enemy began to question the resolve in Jesus' heart. Do you really believe is ultimately what the devil was asking. So you know you've just had this wonderful baptism experience, and God spoke to you out of heaven and said, You're my beloved son. You know, if that's all true, if God really loved you, if God really wanted you to be, the Messiah if God really wanted you to rule and become king what's going on why are you sitting here hungry in the wilderness and he began to challenge him and ask him those kinds of questions he began to challenge the real convictions deep down in Jesus heart what he really believed about himself and about his situation and I want to say to you today that the devil is doing the exact same thing with you the enemy does not bother with that which is not a threat to him folks The enemy doesn't bother with that which is not a threat to him. The fact that he's interested in you, and he's trying to give you a hard time, and he's trying to harass you, is pure evidence that God highly loves you, highly values you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. You should clap. You see, hard times give us an opportunity to pause for a moment and evaluate for ourselves where our hearts stand in relation to what we say we truly believe. It's very easy to say, I believe God. It's very easy to say, I trust God. But when it's not looking so rosy out there, it's a little more difficult. It's easy to sing songs of victory when we're feeling on top, when we've just just gotten that raise Ron was talking about, when we've you know, we just got that car that Ron came and gave. Hey, it's easy to sing songs of victory then. When we're up, when we're high, when there's no problems going on. But how do we sing songs of victory when we're in the mire, when things don't seem to be going our way, when there seems to be a struggle? What are the questions that we start asking of ourselves, of God? What are the words that start coming out of our mouths? Turn in your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 14. And we're going to start looking at a couple of examples here of people who got into tough places. Exodus 14, let me just give you a little bit of context here. So we join, we're all familiar with the Exodus story. We join the story after Moses had gone to Pharaoh. I'm going to take my people out. Pharaoh says, no, plagues come. He says, no, plague comes. He says, no, plague comes. He says, no, more plagues, more no's, until eventually the day of Passover where, God, where the angel of death comes and Takes the first, the eldest, the firstborn of all those who do not have the lamb of the blood spread on the lintels. And so Pharaoh says, Go, get out of here. Not only that, the people of Egypt gave the Israelites gold and jewels and possessions. So they went out, wealthy people, out of Egypt. And they come to the Red Sea. Now, we all know that Pharaoh had a bit of a change of heart once he saw the last chariot go, and then he called his army and rallied his troops and then said, go, go after the people of Israel and slay them all. And this is where we pick up the story. I'm going to read to you from the message. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw Egyptians coming at them. They were totally afraid. They cried out in terror to God. And they told Moses, Weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so that you had to take us out of there in the wilderness to die? What have you done to us, taking us out of Egypt? Back in Egypt, didn't we tell you this would happen? Didn't we tell you, leave us here alone, here in Egypt, we're better off as slaves in Egypt than as corpses in the wilderness? What is the confession that started coming out of their mouth? They have just experienced plagues deluxe. They have seen things miraculous things, they've come out dripping with diamonds and pearls and all those wonderful things. And immediately at the first sign of resistance, fear strikes their heart and we see what happens to their confession. Verse 13, Moses spoke to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and watch God do His work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians. Today, for you're never going to see them again. God will fight the battle for you, and you, you keep your mouth shut. The Israelites, like I say, have just seen the powerful demonstration, the plagues, the Passover deliverance, and yet, questions. Weren't the cemeteries in Egypt big enough? Very sarcastic question. What have you done to us? Isn't that amazing? What have you done to us? And that question is aimed at God by the way. The people cried out to God and said to Moses. They cried out to God and spoke their heart to his representative. What have you done to us? Didn't we tell you this would happen? But what is Moses' response? Number one, don't be afraid. Number two, stand firm. We spoke about that last week as well. And number three, watch God. Watch God. I don't know exactly what you're facing this this morning. What looks like is coming and charging at you. But I'm pretty sure if Moses was here today, he'd say these same three things to you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just stand firm and watch God. Watch God. Watch God. Look and see what He will do for you. He concludes it saying, God will fight the battle for you. And you? You keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Stop talking nonsense. Stop speaking out the negative. Stop questioning God. Because Moses is basically saying this the way you're going right now, you're going to incur some serious wrath. Rather shut your mouth. You know, I have two little kids. There's there's a point in time when they start being cheeky and I'm going to go, you watch your mouth. There's a line here you can't cross. I'm still your father. You're still my child. And yes, we can play and we can have fun, but there's no disrespect allowed. And they know where that line is. They know exactly where it is because they like to. As we all do, right? Right? But we need to understand that we're dealing with the Holy God. It's very interesting. The next time, a little bit further on, Israel now gets over the Red Sea. They're into the wilderness, and they start complaining again. They start complaining and murmuring again. Oh, things were better for us in Egypt. Why did you bring us out here? Why, why, why? This time, God was not so gracious. He sent serpents among them, and they bit the people, and many of them died. When we start turning our hearts to God and saying, why are you doing this? It shows an attitude of the heart which completely locks up the providence of God. We cannot experience it with this heart attitude. Let me give you another example. Turn again in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4. Jesus has been teaching. He's been teaching in parables. He's getting tired. So He says to the disciples, get the boat ready, we're going across to the other side. So we pick it up in verse 35, Mark four thirty-five, and it says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. So a great windstorm rose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling But he was in the stern, speaking of Jesus, asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey Him. The disciples are in a pickle here. They're in a boat. They're afraid. They see the wind and the waves. They call on Jesus, and He brings calm to their situation. But in the midst of their despair, in the midst of their trial, the disciples ask a pivotal question. Do you not care that we are perishing? You see, this question has nothing to do with Jesus' ability to solve the situation. This question is aimed at the nature of Jesus. This question is aimed at the character of Jesus. Very plainly, don't you care about us? How do you think that must have felt after he rent heaven and came down and was with them in that boat in that moment? Do you not care? And so Jesus comes and he calms the storm and he looks at them and he says, Why are you so fearful? Why is it or how is it possible that with me here, with you, and given the things that you have seen, that you have no faith. You see, Jesus called them out on their unbelief. Let me paraphrase it this way. Jesus got up, He calmed the storm, and He stood before His disciples and He said, Guys, don't you trust Me? Don't you trust Me? I'm here with you. Don't you trust Me? You see, folks, the battle that we're fighting right now, each one of us in our own way and in our own situation, is not a battle to win some kind of victory or some kind of supremacy because Jesus has already won those battles. The only battle you and I have to face today is the battle against unbelief, is the battle of questioning Jesus. Do you care about where I am? Do you care about what I'm going through? Do you care about me? Because when I look around... I think Jesus, in the midst of your situation, would ask you the same question this morning. If you know me as your Savior, if you call me your Lord, why is it you don't trust me? Where is your faith? Where is your trust? You see... Like I said, last time we looked at the army of Israel in a position of despair against Goliath, against the Philistines. In steps David, who has a vital relationship with God. He knows his God, and everything changes. We see the Israelites at the Red Sea. Egyptians coming at them. Fear gripped their heart. Moses steps into the scene. Moses, who has a real and a vital relationship with God, he knows God's love for him and for these people. Because God called Moses because he loved the people despite them being a stiff-necked generation to bring them out of Egypt. He loved them too much to leave them there. And that man changed everything. We see here again with the disciples, in a position of despair, in a position of trial and struggling, and in steps Jesus, who had a vital and a very real relationship with His God, with God the Father, and that changed everything. Each one of these individuals, David, Moses, Jesus, and there are so many others that I could mention, had a vital, a living, a real revelation of the greatness of God's love for them. There was something in them that no matter how bad things looked on the outside, they knew that they knew God would see them through. That God loved them and cared for them. That the eternal well-being, not just the temporal well-being, but the eternal well-being of their souls was in His hands. And that was a good place for it to be. There was no questioning His goodness. There was no questioning His faithfulness, even in the midst of... dire situations. They didn't question, but they took a stand based on that revelation. They knew not just that God could come into their situation and turn things upside down, not just that God could take what a bad situation and turn it around for good and for blessing, but they believed that God loved them enough that He would. He would do it. They believed. They believed. Romans chapter 10, 17, such a, a, a verse we know well. It says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith to believe God, faith to trust Him. How does it come? By hearing. And hearing who? Do you notice I didn't say what? Not by hearing what the Word of God says but by hearing the person, Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus steps into your situation, and He says to you, I love you. You are my child. I've got this. I've got this. You're going to be okay. I'm going to walk you through this storm. I'm going to walk with you through this situation. And I'm going to show you things that are going to blow your mind. Don't be afraid. Stand still. I'm on the scene. That is the stuff of faith. That is the stuff that enables us to stand in the midst of everything that we're going through. It's the revelation that Jesus loves me. Galatians 5, verse 6, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. What I do and what I don't do, Doesn't accomplish anything but faith. Faith is what accomplishes something in my situation. Faith working through love. How does faith work? By love. Let me put it to you this way when I know that I am loved, my faith becomes activated. When I know that God loves me, you see, I cannot muster up faith to believe God for something. Having to approach him in a holy way, in a in a in a way that I have to do things to try and get to him or convince him or confess this enough or do that enough to get him to move, that's just devoid of love. That's ritual. But you see, when I begin to hear the voice of Jesus speaking to me that he loves me, something changes within within my heart towards him. I can believe him for anything that he says. My kids don't need a lot of convincing when I tell them they can have a packet of chips from the fridge after church on a Sunday. And they don't fear coming to ask me for that packet of chips every Sunday. Sometimes the answer is no, not today. But if my answer is yes, It's done. Dad has said it. I don't know where the money comes from. I couldn't care. All I get is my chips in my hand. Happiness is. That's it. And I want to tell you, it is that simple with you and God, with me and God. The only way our faith works, in the midst of everything else that we're going through, in the midst of the trials, when that seems to be all that we can see, and it's shouting at us, To know that I'm loved by God is the anchor and the rock that enables me to have victory in the midst of that situation. We've got to know that we're loved. But not just that. Like I say, it's not just a word that says, oh, I love you. I've got to believe it. I've got to embrace that, and I've got to allow the love of God to embrace me. See, folks, it's not about the size of the challenge outside, but it's about the size of His love Inside. Do you have any idea how much value God places on you? There's this this verse in the Bible, you may have heard it before. It says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved you, Jesus so loved you, Holy Spirit so loves you that He continues, He not only gave, but He continues to give Himself every day in love and in blessing and in grace towards you because you are so valuable in His sight. Galatians 5, six. Valuable and precious in His sight. St. August said this, Men go abroad to wonder at the heights of the mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of rivers, and at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. Those mountains, those rivers, those stars, God made them all for you. Made them all for you and for me. You see, when I begin to consider Christ in the midst of my tri- tri- trial, something ought to change. Something needs to break within me. It's called unbelief. It begins to break. It begins to unravel that stronghold that of fear that it has on me begins to loosen as I begin to trust more and more and more in my Jesus, as I begin to root myself in the fact that He loves me, that I am precious to Him. This is the essence of faith. Why are you so fearful, my child? What are you fearful of? What are you worried about what are you anxious about what are you afraid of what are you facing right now trust me i love you i've got this i've got this that begins to change our confession that begins to change what we speak instead of speaking death into my situation i begin to speak life i want to say it's not about the sound of the voice that comes out of our mouths. That's not what makes the difference. The sound of the voice that comes out of your mouth is not what makes the difference. What makes the difference is the sound of your heart that comes out of your mouth. When we look at the communion table, Thank you to the ushers and hospitality team for setting this all up for us this morning. When we look at the communion table, we get a picture of a God who doesn't play around with his love. We get a picture of a God who is very serious about his love. Who realized that we were in a pickle, that we were in a boat, that we were in a storm, that we were going down he came into our situation and showed us what love looks like. We cannot question the greatness of Jesus' love for us. He has demonstrated it not only through his life and death on the cross, but he demonstrates it through his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of love residing within our hearts. He demonstrates it because he's given us his word to fill our hearts and minds with that from that place of just knowing I am his. He is mine. Not a day goes by where I don't tell my kids, I love you, and I'm so proud of you. Even when I mess up, Dad, even when you mess up. Even when I'm naughty. (laughs) Even when you're naughty. I am so proud of the ways you find to be naughty. I am proud of you. Why? Because, she's, because they're the brightest, because they're the best, because they can sing better than anyone or run faster than anyone or get the best grades in school. No, I love them because they're mine. They're mine. And there's nothing I wouldn't do for those two. Now why do we think our God is anything less than the human idea of love? Because He proved to us there is nothing He wouldn't give. So I want to ask you this morning to stand with me. As we come to the communion table, Nicole and I will go up and we'll we'll sing a song just to help us worship in this moment. But as we come to the communion table this morning, I want us to understand that what we are partaking of this morning is the very love, the very person of Jesus Christ. It is the victory of Jesus Christ over death, over sin, over sickness, over poverty, over lack, over struggle, over depression, over trials, over everything. Jesus is there. He's done it all. And all we need to do is say, come, thank you. I receive this morning from that place. You see, we often think faith is this loud, brash thing. Faith is very simple. Faith is simply trusting that He is everything He says He is and that He loves me as much as His bloody and His blood demonstrate. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za